Mr. Girl Rajat Speaks with Narrative Shifts. This is where we are redefining and reframing the narratives that go out about us. And today I've got wonderful guests with me. Um, Bobby Moore from Detroit has been living in um, Washington for some time and he'll tell you a little bit more about uh, himself in a moment. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep. So, uh, like you said, born and raised in Detroit. Um, uh, I don't think, like, I never left Detroit, really. So my entire childhood was in Detroit. I mean, I think really in terms of traveling, I have family in Chicago, family in Texas, family in Mississippi. And that was my, you know, kind of childhood travel, like Florida, maybe, Uh maybe a little bit of Canada. But that was about it. So um, I graduated from Detroit Renaissance High School, Phoenix, go Phoenix. Went to University of Michigan, go blue. Uh, did the five-year plan there in engineering. My degree was in computer engineering. Um, came out, got recruited to Microsoft my junior year. So I interned my junior year there, interned my senior year, went out full-time, thought I was going to go back to grad school, decided I didn't really want to go back to grad school. And been in Seattle ever since. So uh, I've been in Seattle for about 22 years now, roughly, okay. um, and done a lot. Still at Microsoft. So I've been at Microsoft all that time. Um, done a number of different jobs here. Like I said, my degree was in engineering, uh, but I also have done marketing, um, sales enablement roles, back in engineering, speech writing. Just done a lot of different things here at the company. Uh, had a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where I am today. I have a wife, uh, we've been married for, um, 13 years. Well, I guess for 14 years now and two sons, a 16 year old son, five year old son. Um, so a lot of space in between those, but yeah, I'm blessed. We're healthy. Yeah. Um, and life is good. I love that. Thank you. It's, I mean, that was such an abbreviated version. I don't know that I could have done it so succinctly. (laughs) Um, But obviously we met at U of M. It had to be my, maybe my junior year or going, going into my junior year, I think. Um, Just as much as I was spending time on North campus and that kind of thing. Um, It's funny because, you know, you and I were joking a little bit. Uh, Everyone always thought I was an engineer because the majority of my friends are engineers, at least college friends were engineers. And to be honest, I had so much fun on y'all's campus. Like North campus was was everything, you know? And so I would get up there um, and just have a good time. So Bobby and I met there um, really because he was in leadership roles and, and in a kind of mentoring capacity. It seems he's just kind of big brother Bobby, but super professional and, and someone we all looked up to. And so even with my literature, science and arts <laughs> uh, backdrop, it was definitely cool to see, you know, young black men and women um, in these positions of leadership in the engineering school, which I thought was just so profound. Um, so I'm glad that you're here. It's been a while. Yeah. I will just say two things. One, mm-hmm. it wasn't until yesterday that I knew that I found out that you weren't in engineering. So that is like 20 year old news. Right? <laughs> so when I said that, that was the first that you knew that? Wow. Just, I, I, I was like, yeah, when I would describe you, I was like, yeah, Jet, remember? She's in engineering and she was a hooper. So that's the second thing that people might not know about you. Right. Was Jet right. was a hooper. It was a, so, a hooper. Yeah, so that was the other intersection. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's 
that's interesting. So I never knew that. I thought you were in engineering. And so from my perspective, like, I'm not going to change that impression of you. I'm you are in engineering. So. <laughs> We're rolling with that. Roll with it. I'm good with it. Um, okay, so I just wanted to connect. Obviously, you know, you're part of our five part series on black men and mental health, and we've had some really substantial and good conversations um, surrounding this lately. Um, I think it was the summertime when I created kind of a poll on my uh, Facebook page, and yep. you chimed in when I had asked, you know, if anybody uh, saw the value in it and kind of asked some specific questions. And so I just want to hear a little bit about kind of um, your thoughts on mental health awareness or, or just even um, kind of what you have gone through, obviously, personally, mm-hmm. but what your thoughts and ideals are around mental health as we know it clinically. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as we talked about, we, we had this conversation. Uh, for me, um, I didn't have a concept of therapy growing up. You know, like, so grew up in Detroit. Detroit's all black. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the people, you know, all my friends, all of my, you know, the adults around, you know, everyone I knew was black. And I think growing up, the way that I was internalized. How you deal with things is you don't have your business in the street, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you take care of internal problems internally. Um, And so, like, I didn't, you know, and I I won't even say it was really a, you know, ultra negative thing or had like much of a stigma, at least at that point when I was younger, it just wasn't a thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I didn't hear anybody saying like, oh, I'm going to therapy for X, Y, Z. Um, I just didn't hear about it at all. Uh, so really the, the idea of, um, even having those types of interactions was introduced to me more from a professional perspective. Hmm. Um, so when I got to mission, so I guess maybe when I got to Microsoft, the idea of coaching and mentorship and things of that nature, which I would say is kind of less clinical, Uh but to me more in the same direction. Um, that was all introduced to me at Microsoft, where uh, particularly as an African-American coming to Microsoft at the time when I came in, which um, diversity was a big initiative um, at that point, which, again, would have been 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. There was always this idea of, OK, if we're going to recruit talent to Microsoft, black talent, and we're going to keep them, we better make sure that they have a community and mm-hmm. coaching, right? Like, Because if you don't, like, then you'll have... You, you know, you can recruit, but you can't retain. Mm. And so there was this idea of retaining. And part of that was you need to have mentorship and coaching. And so then the idea of coaching to me was more like a professional area. Okay. And it resonated because, you know, back when I was in Michigan, that was what we did for each other, right? Like we would coach each other, we would mentor each other, you know, we'd have groups of people that would kind of engage and, you know, just help make sure that we, were on top of our stuff from a um, academic perspective and that, you know, we weren't losing our own identity up in Michigan, which is, you know, a lot of black people there at the time, but still majority white school. Right. Uh, so that, you know, I won't say that it, it was not formally introduced to me at Michigan, but that was kind of what was happening um, at, a, at an academic level. Sure. Then at Microsoft, it was introduced to me um, formulaically as a professional development skill. Hmm. Um, Then later on in life, for me, it was like, 
Well, you know, once you once you've had people tell you from a professional development perspective, this is how people get ahead, right? Like they figure out what they're good at, they figure out what they're not good at, what challenges they have, and then they get coaching for it, right? Um, then the mental transition from that to okay, in my personal life, I need to figure out what I'm good at, what things I'm not good at, and I need to get help for the things that I'm not good at. Then that transition was a little more smooth. Um, so then later in my life, like this idea of getting therapy and counseling and things of that nature, it just kind of made sense logically, right? Like um, for me, I've always thought I should be a better person each day than I was the day prior, right? Each day, each month, each year. And you you can't get better if you don't have people health. Like the, the analogy I use is, so my son is 16. Okay. And he's really into basketball, or at least he was. He's still he's still very into basketball, not as much as he was, but maybe even a year or two ago, it was like, okay, what type of help are you getting with your skills? Are you doing skills development? Who are you working with, right? Like what trainer is working with you? Um, And as you start to meet more and more people, you realize like these high level athletes, they're not, you know, they're not going in into their job trying to figure out how to get better without having coaches and trainers and things of that nature. Well, so if it's good for athletics, right? Like, and these, you know, all these people we admire, right? Like the LeBrons and the Kobe's and the rest in peace and Jordans, like mm-hmm. they all have trainers and things that are helping them. Like, why wouldn't you do that for yourself in other areas of life? And then particularly for me, from a personal perspective, that was the way that I would rationalize and say, like, look, if I need help with something, then, you know, I'm not going to avoid getting help from people um, outside of my household who can, who have experience and can, you know, give me the guidance that I need. I think that's an amazing answer. Um, you know, I'm thinking about our time at U of M. And so you you did sort of, you know, wrap that up really nicely in terms of the fact that we did offer coaching. We did a lot of peer-to-peer coaching. We did a lot of, um, or we had just a lot of wonderful uh, examples of those who were coaching us, you know, that we got to spend some real intimate time with and really learn the process of mentee, mentor, you know, someone who's going to be teaching. Um, and it being a life lifestyle type of deal, right? Not just we graduate, we had some, you know, mentors, and then we were on to the next. We, it kind of, I believe, it built something in us in terms of us continuing to seek out, okay, if we want to be like this or we want to have this type of success or whatever the case may be, you know, maybe it's a matter of somebody that needs to quit smoking. Okay. If I want to quit smoking, what does that look like? It's finding people, aligning yourself with people who have already done those things or who've been able to, you know, like get out of a situation. Um, So, so I love that, that that was kind of just, it seemed to be groomed in you in a lot of ways, you know, um, pretty early, which I would say is, is quite the anomaly. um, Right you know, in our community and just really young people, I think, like across the board, to be honest. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Um, Do you find that it was reinforced? So you spoke about this personal side of things. You find that it was reinforced um, other ways, aside from you take having this awareness of, hmm, this works over here in, in my academic and professional life. How can I apply this to my personal life? Do you feel like, um, there were other areas even where you were able, hey. <laughs> it's fine. If, do you find that there were other areas um, that you saw that come up or you had the opportunity to um, participate in sort of these intimate sort of small group situations or, you know, one-on-one yeah. with someone? 
Yeah. So um, outside of, you know, the stuff that we talked about from a professional development perspective, then um, uh, so for me, the way I got into formal, what I would call formal counseling, effectively therapy, um, was really down two paths. One, um, well, let me see, because they both are actually really related. Um, so we had a um, couple, my wife and I had a couple that we really, really admired, um, or we really admire today. We were actually really good friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a little older than us, um, but they had um, really been sharing with us just about their experience from a marriage perspective. So it really kind of started around this idea of marriage and parenting um, because they also have uh, kids that are the same age as my oldest. Hmm. And so their feedback was like, look, you know, we have these issues with, uh, you know, our relationship as a couple, these issues with being a parent to kids these issues with, you know, like the world around us. Um, And that put us in two directions. Number one, from a marriage perspective, um, they were saying like, look, we get counseling for these things. And so we were like, uh, well, if it's good for them, right? Like we have a lot of admiration for them. If it's good for them, then it's good for us. So that was one of the first steps was marriage counseling for my wife and I, which broke out into personal counseling for me, which I'll talk a little bit about. Um, And then the second stage of that was that same couple. um, We started going to church with them. Hmm. Uh, And so then from a um, spiritual perspective, uh, one of the um, one of the doctrines of the church is how you come together as a small group. You support each other. You hold each other accountable. Um, And so then that also translated into some other experiences that were you know, like small group areas where we're coaching each other and again, holding each other accountable. And then men's groups that kind of the same thing where we're holding each other accountable and counseling and helping each other. Um, So I would say a lot of that was from, uh, and it wasn't just this particular couple. It was a couple other couples that we had around us that we really expected, respected. They all were kind of saying the same things. Um, This couple in particular were really kind of giving us that guidance of, okay, like, you know, here's how we handled our issues. If you're having something similar, then you need to, you know, um, go off and do that. And then the church structure with the small groups really reinforced that. That's awesome. I think the small group structure in church, not, you know, and I know all of our listeners are not necessarily like church attenders, right? But that small group dynamic, I know my first exposure to it that really opened me up to therapy you know, in the clinical sense, um, actually came from that. So I did not grow up in the church. A lot of people know that side of me, like I wasn't raised in the church. It wasn't until really, um, gosh, I had to be maybe like 28, 29, right in there when I started going to a, a particular church in California. That was where I saw the difference even culturally, right? And so, um, predominantly Black church, you know, that I was affiliated with when I was here. Pentecostal backdrop, like there wasn't much said in, in the way of counseling, right? And I've and certainly not, you know, back then, right? And then you fast forward, and I'm at a church that um, actually my pastors were white, but it was a very um, diverse pastoral staff. So like I had, um, um, a, I believe, a Ugandan pastor, um, a Polynesian pastor. You know, it was like across the board. We had some wonderful diversity, and. I think for me, when I started realizing that there were tons of people who had this small group experience that I had heard nothing about until then, you know, all I knew was kind of like 
okay, people go to Bible study, people might go to one, you know, like an AA group or something like that. But in terms of everyday life type stuff, like finances or um, maybe somebody's grieving, like the grief group, you know, all these different groups. And when I started seeing that, I was like, wow, there must be something to this. My first experience with it um, was, I was like, y'all just out here opening, y'all just telling all your business to everybody. And so it was so foreign and strange, but the concept, right? Um, but after I started seeing people's lives get changed truly, and then, you know, myself having the opportunity to, you know, share with someone and seeing them be moved and get something from that and vice versa. Um, that's when I was really sold on the idea of, you know, even just small groups for, for, you know, even behavioral health. Right. It's like, or, or, you know, like for you guys, like it's just you guys, like the fellas get together. That's a small group, you know, and being able to, because I remember, you know, we used to, uh, or we still do, but I guess now maybe I'm on the other side of it where you do have the small groups and people are just sharing, right? Like sharing their struggles, their issues. And that for me was maybe the most foreign part of it, which mm-hmm. is maybe even a little more foreign that if I get in front of somebody in a one-on-one situation, then it's like, okay, nobody's around. I'm just going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But then when there's a group of people and you're like, you know, that might be too much information. You right, know? Like, right. exactly. not like all of this personal stuff being shared, but right. um, then what what you find is that one, people have the same problems, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, or maybe let me say that different because people don't have the same problems, but you don't necessarily have a problem that's unique to you, right? right. Like it's maybe the best way to put it. Someone that some something that someone's going to share is something that you relate to, or something that you share is something that someone else has the same either the same struggle with, or the same you know issue, or the same experience, and that makes you feel like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me was uh, one of the things that um, that I really embraced about uh, that type of environment where you're sharing with other people is that you know you're not alone, and then these people. <clears throat> um, someone else in some case may have, may be able to say something that is encouraging to you mm-hmm. or sparks an idea for something that you can do to, to, you know, make yourself better. Um, so, so I feel like, you know, one of the things that particularly as black people, right? Like we just don't share what we're going through in a, always in a, that's, this is a stereotype. So I should not stereotype this, mm-hmm. but I would say I unfortunately did not have a lot of experiences where black people were sharing things with each other in a productive way, right? Like it's not that you don't know what's going on mm-hmm. in so-and-so's, you know, life. Cause somehow their mess is getting out, right. but it's not productive, right? Like it's shared by way of gossip mm-hmm. or by way of, you know, after the fact, after some, horrible has happened or terrible has happened, mm-hmm. then it's shared as like tragic news. But, you know, ensuring that ahead of the curve, you're sharing these things in a productive way around people that have experience and have education around ways they can help you. Like, I think that's one of the things that um, it's been helpful for me. And I think we could, as a community, do better. Yeah. 
think um, I think you're absolutely correct with that. Um, we have had such a stigma or some type of barrier, you know, as it pertains to what we should share, what we shouldn't, what we need to keep closed, what's family business, and you know that being so contextual in terms of you know our cultural um, backdrop, you know, just history. And so I think what I like right now, and I've shared this, I think, on a previous episode. Um, how I'm seeing even in the school systems right now with social emotional learning, right? They're getting the opportunities to actually share as well, you know, in, in like a small group and what we call restorative circles in the classroom um, where they can have these, you know, real kind of bold expressions, not be judged, understand it's a safe space and all these norms are communicated, you know, with these techniques. And I, and I, and I love that our young people right now are getting that opportunity. Yeah. Because it's it's yeah it's it's breaking down what has become the norm of not sharing and not being healed and you know in turn oftentimes having health challenges as a result right yeah. Yeah. so you know that whole connection there so I do appreciate you sharing that aspect um, definitely had a few more questions so let's see where it was yeah I think the um, the it's key. I love the to hear because I'm not as familiar with this. <clears throat> I love to hear that it's being introduced in schools because mm-hmm. I think that just accelerates the growth. Like I can imagine for me, mm-hmm. like if I had gotten, if I was where I am now, as a young person, like how much further I'd be along today than I am now, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been on this journey. Like this is a Bobby's in his 30s journey, not right. Bobby in his teens, right? Like. Um, and so I feel like hopefully they're getting accelerated learning from starting early mm-hmm. um, because I will say <clears throat> like kids now don't, they don't have it easier than we have it mm-hmm. as it relates to many things. I think that's a, that's another myth is that, you know, things are a lot easier, mm-hmm. like things are more accessible. Things are, are, you know, like there's way more, more, more exposure for a lot of things that, than even what I had. And I felt like I, I had pretty early exposure to a lot of things, Sure, um, but it's nothing like what I'm seeing with kids today, like across the board, right? Like um, uh, of things that will, that if not handled properly can de- degrade your ability to um, develop in the way you want to develop, whether it's introduction to sexual materials and sexual sexuality in a way that um, maybe kids aren't necessarily, uh, don't have the tools to deal with, Mm-hmm. introduction to um, drugs in a way that kids don't have tools to deal with. Mm-hmm. Like all of that is happening. I talked to, you know, um, kids in our church that I mentor. Mm-hmm. The stuff they're telling me, I'm like, I wasn't exposed to that stuff until college, right? Wow. Like, maybe after college. And these are like, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old kids. And um, so, yeah, I do think I'm glad the kids are getting that, um, getting that experience earlier because you know, the stuff that the exposure is happening earlier. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, social emotional has become, I'm sorry, I'm hearing feedback a little bit. Okay. Um, social emotional learning has become such a big, uh, I guess, phrase, it's almost trendy now, right? But yeah. it's, it's important. And there are a lot of schools and, and districts who are definitely spending time to make that a priority. And so, you know, my school in particular, um, we have a SEL period, right, where we actually talk about, you know, some of these um like, you know, just the other day, what was ours? We were talking about respect, 
right? And just kind of, you know, going through what it means to be respected. What is the, what is your definition of respect? Um, we talk about having mindfulness for kids, you know, just take a moment, you know, and just kind of right. be through it. Take a moment and practice gratitude. So yes, it is definitely something that's um, that's very much in the forefront, I believe, um, in a lot of districts, at least around here. So yeah. I'm sure it's, you know, pretty much nationwide, but it definitely is something that's happening in the Detroit area, which is great. Um, so I wanted to know, how how would you encourage someone who might be on the fence about, you know, either attending therapy or a small group? Um, you know, if you wanted to share anything else, I know you mentioned that you had some kind of, what led you to the personal counseling, you know, if you wanted to get into that at any point, um, you can share that as well, but definitely want to know how you would encourage someone to go. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me um, answer the first part, the -hmm. second part first, which is so um, when my wife and I went through marriage counseling, um, one of the things that, or as we're, as we go through marriage counseling, because to me, it's a lifelong journey. um, One of the things that uh, became obvious to me Mm -hmm. is like, I don't, I didn't necessarily always have the best, um, way of internalizing interactions with women, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, which to me affects like all aspects of my life, right? Like professionally, personally, um, my marriage. Um, uh, For example, one of the things that I know a lot of men struggle with, this is a struggle for me, is like how you objectify women, right? Like, so you see a woman and immediately like you place her in a category of how they look, what other characteristics they have that don't have anything to do with the way that you're relating to them Mm. from a personal perspective. Um, And so I had a lot of, uh, I had a couple of friends that had daughters and they, I think if you have a daughter and you're a man, I think you start to maybe get a little bit of insight into what that means, Mm. but I had sons. And so I still am like a little bit um, abstracted from that, but just this idea of like, okay, I'm trying to have a productive relationship with my wife. And then I'm just objectifying every woman around me immediately, even sometimes subconsciously. Sure. Um, when that was brought to my attention and the impact that it has on the other interactions that I have, like, it was kind of interesting to me, you know, that um, some of the downsides of having that um, as a trait and this, you know, fairly normal amongst men mm-hmm. and what it means to really dig into that and understand what it means and then start to walk some of that back. Um so for me, that was, you know, that was part of it. That was a big part of it. Um, in addition to the way that I communicate in general with people around me, understanding myself, um, I'm um, particularly introverted, um, not like dysfunctionally, but I am heavily introverted. So like what that means for the way that I interact with other people and um, and how and the rules and the tips and tricks for how I should be interacting with people and kind of being aware of my own um, energy level as it relates to, to being introverted. Like those are all things that I've learned over time that has been like priceless for me in a lot of different situations. So um, then going back to your first question, the way that I would try and encourage people who really are on the fence for me, I think you are in one of two camps. You either don't think you have a problem at all, oh. in which case 
I think, you know, live your life, right? Like if you don't have any issues, you know, live your life, right? Like I, I personally think anyone who thinks that, and particularly if they're black, they probably are fooling themselves. Like I can tell you, if you're black in America, you've experienced some level of, you know, trauma, right? In, innate trauma, right? Like, so there's probably something going on, but it, you know, like if you don't feel that, then I, that would not be the person that I would start with and trying to say like, oh yeah, you need counseling, right? Or you need therapy or these other things. But if you sense you have a problem um, or something that you feel like you want to improve about yourself, then what I would say is, again, I go back to that athlete analogy. Like there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to improve yourself that doesn't involve getting coaching from someone else or getting help from someone else, that is really going to be the optimized way of doing it. Mm. So you can read books and, you know, you can try and self, um, self-counsel um, and maybe it works, but it definitely won't be fast, right? Like it, it's not the optimized path for doing it. Um, so I would just say like, you know, try it, right? Like try it. If you don't like it, then, you know, keep pushing um, but for me and for what I've seen now and for what I recognize to be a model for success, you got to have that outside help. You know, you got to um, be able to communicate with people that uh, have education and have more experiences than you do uh, and let them help you. Right. Like and uh, and then I would also say. Um, a lot of it, too, there's a certain comfort level. There's a certain vulnerability that you have to have, and that's the tough part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a comfort level that you have to find with uh, with the person who's counseling you or giving you therapy or whatever that dynamic is. Um, so you you want to be, you know, you do have to give some thought to how you go about it um, in order to achieve maximum results. But I would just say, like, you know, try it, um, give a little bit of thought to it, try it, and that for my money, it's the, it's the effective way to go about these things. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, one of the things that's so interesting, and I love that you're bringing to the table, the coaching dynamic, the mentoring dynamic, um, because, you know, there are some barriers that we've talked about in the previous shows. Obviously, one of those barriers being financial for some some of the people who might be watching, right? Yeah. Um, other ver- barriers are what you said, where it's someone that's like, I don't have a problem. I don't need any help, you know, so that's its own barrier, right? Right. Um, Eventually they'll come to, you know, have come to Jesus moment or whatever (laughs) so that they can (laughs) get get what they need. Um, But, you know, I I love that you're bringing in another dynamic here um, in terms of the coaching and the mentoring and, and, you know, personal counseling that may not have been necessarily in the vein of of clinical or cognitive type, you know, counseling. Um, It speaks to the fact that you still need help. You know, sometimes we go through life and we feel like we can, we got this. We, you know, we, we can just do what we need to do, focus here without any help. Um, and, you know, we've talked in previous episodes and most of us know that we need somebody in this world, right? right. And two is better than one, in my opinion. And so, um, you know, when it comes down to just asking for help, sometimes that's difficult for people. You know, a lot of times we find that people hit this proverbial rock bottom, right, before yep. before they end up reaching out. And, you know, sometimes it's so many times we don't have to hit that space. We don't right. have to be that far down. We can be proactive 
or slightly even reactive, <laughs> slightly yeah. reactive, um, you know, so that we can make these decisions ahead of time so that we're not, you know, in this, this huge bind, really trying to figure out how we got here. Right. 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 And so, um, so I, I love that you're speaking to that, that side as well. So for someone who um, kind of is in that camp, let's say, um, let's say they haven't been so long working for Microsoft for, you know, 20 something years, but, you know, they're working every day, maybe a couple of different jobs. Um, you know, what would you recommend if they can't get counseling, if they can't um, really get in there, maybe they can't afford it, maybe it's a time thing. What do you recommend, you know, just from black male to black male, black parent, black kid, what, what, what do you recommend in terms of um, trying to have a healthy, you know, mental health aspect? Yeah, I think um, for me, <clears throat> where it started and what I'll what I'll say, you know, in general, is <clears throat> get a sense for like. Let's say that all other things are off the table, right? Like in just the basics, who do you admire, right? Like who do you look up to in the world, right? Like and you say, like this person has their stuff taken care of. Um, or you, or you see, um, this person, man, they had this issue and now at, I, they're at a different point where it seems like they don't have this issue anymore, or they don't have this issue as much as they had it. Right. Like, um, and go talk to those people, right? Like that for me is probably one of the main things that you can do. If you just don't have anything else going, just ask someone like, what have you done to, um, achieve this level of success or evolution or whatever it is that you see about them. Um, and then try and take tips and tricks from what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, Cause what I think you'll find is that that person has gone to see someone, you know, like, right. and then that person is basically going to say, well, here's the things that I did. And then you'll basically begin the third party, which is maybe not as uh again, maybe it's not optimized as if you were going directly to the source of the education, but at least it's something, right? Like it's something that's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so whatever the issue is, if you think you have identified something as somebody that is, um, that is advanced to where you see yourself, then go out and ask that person, right? Like you hear so many success stories across the board. Like you hear about somebody who like all of the people, not all the people, but you hear so many success stories about people who are financially independent, as an example. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I used to be in lows of debt and blah, 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 blah. And now I'm financially independent. And then like, you're like, okay, so how did you do that? And the first story they'll, they'll say is, well, I knew this person and this person was doing blah, 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 blah. And then, so I started doing it right. Like, um, um, it works, right? Like imitating success to get to be successful, it like it actually works, right? Like there's a reason why, um, there's a reason why that exists as a as a social construct, right? Um, is because it actually does work, and so that's where I would start, right? Like if you just didn't have any other wherewithal, mm -hmm. I would start and finding somebody that is where you want them to be, and then figuring out how they got there. Okay, and so not just even in the terms of success, but or what we would maybe define success, right, in the Western context. But, you know, if this is somebody, you know, got healed from something or someone uh, used to smoke and they're not, you know, you don't want to be a smoker anymore or something to that effect, you know, it's like 
I've, yeah, I would say like, so if you, for example, if you have anger issues, right? And you've seen somebody out there that used to have anger issues and now you notice they don't have it anymore. That person did something, right? Like they just didn't wake up one day less angry. So something happened, right? Like to make them, to make that happen. So go ask that person what they did. If you feel like you have a problem with uh, like, just pick any, any vice, right? Like alcohol, pornography, um, pornography is probably a tougher one because most people aren't really suggesting that they have an issue with that. But alcohol, cigarettes, et cetera, find somebody that had that issue and is now better off than they were. Um, and they'll tell you what they did, right? Like my experience is most people that have had success, um, getting, and when I say success, I mean, I don't mean like in the, to your point, like the mm-hmm. Western definition of I'm rich and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I had a goal. And I achieve that goal, right? Like, so if your goal is you smoke, you want to stop smoking, mm-hmm. go talk to somebody who used to smoke and they're not smoking anymore, right? Like if you find that you drink too much and you don't want to drink as much, go find somebody that, you know, used to drink a lot and doesn't drink as much anymore. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the marriage that you want to have, go find somebody that didn't have the marriage, you know, that was great and now they do, right? Like if you want to raise, you know, successful children, and whatever that the definition of that is, just find somebody that's doing it. Ask them. Mm-hmm. And most people won't have an issue sharing their story and sharing their tips and tricks. Like no one's trying to hoard information that I know. Right. Uh, and so, again, if you don't have any other wherewithal, like try and find somebody that you've seen be successful and that will help put you on the path. That's my that's been my experience. That's fantastic advice for sure. Um, I do have um, a question. I know that you probably have a pretty full life, right? You have all these components to your life. I, I kind of stay away from the term busy. I hate that word, actually. But So you have a pretty full life. Um, and you actually come across as a very balanced person. So you've, you've, you've definitely been working on a lot of different things. I can hear that, you know, just based off of the couple of conversations that we've had lately. Um I want to know, you know, how does how does Bobby maintain the calm? How does Bobby maintain the peace? You know, with all the things that are going on, being a black man in America, working for a company like Microsoft, you know, obviously managing your household, being married with children um, and all the responsive familial responsibilities. Um, you know, how do you get to a place of calm in a day? Do you have a routine that you follow do you, in terms of self-care? What does that look like for you? Uh, that's a great question. <clears throat> I don't think I'm great at this. Um, I think I can get better. Okay. This is the area where I'm going to be <laughs> searching help, I think. But I will say, um, for me, a couple of things. One, I I have found when I'm better off, it's because I have given um, a lot of forethought to my week, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, to my week, maybe even, you know, to my month, but definitely to my week, okay. right? Like I've just tried to stare at it for a minute and be like, okay, I got to accomplish these things. You know, I'm going to have these kind of rough hours or these rough days in this week and just kind of mentally prepare myself beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that helps a lot, right? Like, cause I don't feel like then every situation is not something that's just bombarding me, right? Like that I didn't see coming. A lot of it for me is setting myself up mentally, right? Like to be prepared for a tough conversation, a 
tough interaction or a heavy, you know, high volume day or a lot of context switching where it's like, okay, I'm working now, but then I have to deal with the kids and then I have to do this and I have to do this. Um, so for me, a lot of it is like just setting that mental preparation up front. Um, and then of course things are going to come that I don't expect. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, but at least the things that I can control, I'm doing my best to control it. And then that also means that I am also setting apart time for me proactively mm-hmm. to be mentally healthy, right? Like time to meditate or time to work out or time to, you know, spend time, you know, downloading with my wife or spend time talking to friends or, you know, you know, like, so I can kind of fit that into my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you know, like the other thing for me is I try to be, um, and everyone, everyone doesn't have this. Um, this is a privilege that I have that I don't think everyone has, okay. but I think people have it maybe a little bit more than they think they do, which is the ability to really say no to certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Like be thoughtful about what, you know, so I'll go through a week and if I know it's a really busy week, um, then I'll, I'll immediately just start saying like, okay, these are the things I'm not going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be a work week. I'm not going to do all of these things that I would normally do from a family perspective, or this is going to be a family week. I'm not going to do all these things that, that, you know, I'm, I think, you know, that I have planned to do or that I would normally do from a work perspective. Um, and really just kind of just being um, as hardcore about that as you can, because to a certain degree, you have to be your own Calvary is it for some of these things, right? Like, you, you know, like, and again, like I said, I'm, I'm more privileged, I think in this respect, but I think people have a little bit more freedom than they give themselves credit for. No, right. Like, no, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. Right. Like, or I'm not going to do it now, or, you know, maybe not necessarily no, but later, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to do this at this particular moment. I'm going to do it here when it actually fits into my schedule and not be so much um, a slave to the things that are happening around us. Um, I think that's helpful. And then um, the thing that I try and do as well, that I don't do as much of a great job of is I actually try and disconnect from, mm. you know, from, the outside world. And by the outside world, I mean, social media, and right? Like if you spend for me, if I spend too much time, like I want to spend enough enough time now educated and I know what's happening around me Mm -hmm. and I'm internalizing those emotions to a certain degree. But if I'm in too much, like then now I'm just triggered all the time. You know what I mean? I pay attention to every, like I just be triggered all the time. I'd be Mm -hmm. walking down the street, just getting mad at people for no reason. Right. Like, just assuming that I know what this person's about and now I'm mad at you for no reason. You know what I mean? Like I just always be triggered. And so like I try and distance myself from that a little bit Mm -hmm. um, so that I don't overdo it. And so I'm not overly emotionally invested in things that are happening around me that I really can't control. That's awesome. So what I'm hearing is you're definitely an advocate for protecting your peace. That's what that sounds like. That's a phrase I tend to use. Yeah, I'm taking that. (laughs) Have it <laughs> protecting your peace. Um, and I also heard boundaries. I mean, you know, knowing when to say no 
knowing that no is an okay answer. I tell people like no is a complete sentence all by itself. <laughs> it communicates what it needs to communicate. And, you know, some of us do have a problem saying no, or we feel like we do need to be the slave to the things around us, I think is how you phrased it. Um, and really, I think it's more about building a condition to say no. I think yeah. it's, it's a condition, right? We're conditioned to, to say yes to a lot of things because, um, of the external stimuli that's coming in, it suggests that we should, right? And yeah. so sometimes yeah. that no is so necessary. Um, and it's or, a in practice. Go ahead. Yeah, or, or no, or not yet, right? Yeah. Like, not yet is, you know, is as good an answer as any, right? Like, and for some people, it's better than no. It's, it's like, yeah, you know, I will definitely do that. I'm just not going to do it right now, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to do it in this time frame, right? Like, um, that's a perfectly, to me, that's a perfectly acceptable answer. Mm-hmm. to give to someone else in order to, you know, set boundaries. Yeah. If it's something you really want to do for somebody, but you just can't do it in that moment without overloading yourself, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's better off for both, for all parties, I found, in the long run, if you can be honest about what you can and can't do. Oh, absolutely. Um, I heard you say, um, without overloading yourself, that phrase. And so, you know, that's so key because so many of us on a daily you know, basis, particularly in the West, you know, and I make these re- references just because I've had the opportunity now to live, you know, Southeast Asia and there's nothing West about it except the tur- tourism spots. Right. Right. But it's very Thai and very East <laughs> and so, um, in terms of culture. And so our pace here is so much more aggressive than a lot of places um, in the world, to be honest. You know, we're just constantly go, 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 always, you know, in an input output situation um, and driving something to the next big thing. That's kind of just the pace. And, you know, I love that you said, you know, it allows you to set boundaries without, or the boundaries help you not overwhelm yourself. I think something like that. And that's key. I mean, I, I was what, 30, I think 35, 34, when I first understood and began to learn about the concept of boundaries right. and how healthy, how, how they are healthy ones and no is okay. And, and right. you can set very clear ones for people. And I think, um, you know, it may come with practice for some folks because maybe yeah. it hasn't been something that um, they're used to. I mean, I was just in a conversation with someone the other day about a gentleman who, um, and we were talking relationships and, you know, the thing is this particular gentleman didn't have good boundaries. Right. And in the way that he was coming off, you know, with my friend and I'm like, how old is he? <laughs> you know, and it was so interesting to to just hear that, you know, this guy's like around, around 50 and, and still just without these boundaries, because yeah. if nobody, if you're not setting them for yourself, if you're not identifying what they, yeah, I always tell people, if you can't, respect your own boundaries, I can't, I actually can't expect them to respect mine, right? Right. If they haven't put any in place and they're bleeding off into everywhere else, then there's no way that they can actually adhere to what you expect or put out as boundaries. And so um, I think as a result, though, sometimes there can be deeper conflict because of that, right? Right. That's when someone misinterprets your no as something much more personal, right? Right. Yeah, I think um, so. A couple of things. One, mm-hmm. um, where I was introduced to boundaries was therapy. So, you know, like another, you know, another, another point for therapy. Right. Um, but for me, like 
the way it was introduced was there's there's a sports saying right like the best ability is availability right mm -hmm. and in the sports context it's really about people who get injured a lot right like so if i play a sport and i'm great but mm -hmm. i'm injured then i'm not playing so i'm not helpful like i can be michael jordan on the court but if my legs always hurt or my back's hurt like i'm not michael jordan right like i'm not producing um so in that context in life if you're not available then you're not you're not you're not able to accomplish the things you want to accomplish and if you're not setting boundaries and you're getting overwhelmed mm. then eventually you're you're going to get injured you're going to get you know psychologically injured and that takes a lot of forms and you see it you know um it in terms of unhealthy eating and unhealthy living and then you know now you got diabetes or you got heart disease now you're not available right? Like either at a professional level or for your family or, you know, like strokes, heart attacks, all these things that, you know, afflict black, black people on a regular basis. Um, you know, stress, stress that is, you know, is a killer in our community and leads to other things that I think that we don't necessarily put two and two together in terms of the effect stress has on us, lack of sleep. Um, all of these things are making you less available for whatever it is you want to be available for whether that's your family or your job or your church or whatever, right? And so for me, I go back to, you know, the best availability, the best ability is availability. In order to do that, I have to have these boundaries so that I can show up being my best self, wherever it is that I want to be my best, best self, whether that's in my marriage, my family, you know, my work environment. Um, and so for me, you, you have to do it. It's counterintuitive because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Hmm. But by the same token, like, I'm doing you a favor by taking care of me, right? Like, so that I can be a better me for you. Um, and so you got to respect that. And if you can't, then, you know, we got to change the dynamics of our relationship. That just is what it is. I think most people will get it, right? Like most people, um, most people inherently understand and those people who don't, you know, you just got to, you got to do it anyway. I love that. That that was an excellent way to um, kind of wrap up <laughs> everything for the day. Um, great points. Really appreciate your contribution. Um, I'm going to have more energy the next time. <laughs> so what, what the audience doesn't know is I had to take a little bit of medicine before the show and I'm like, uh, like trying to push through it. So there's some transparency for narrative shifts. Um, <laughs> anybody's like, what's wrong with her? Why is she like so No, good? you're fantastic. Well, thank you. You too. Um, so I definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll definitely have to catch up again, maybe another time, another uh, episode, another topic um, a little bit later. But I appreciate you just carving time out of your schedule. I know you're on Pacific time right now. So really appreciate you just kind of concluding your work day and then jumping right in here. Like such, such a blessing. So thank you so much. No problem. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's, um, I admire the work that you're doing. This is like, these are important topics, right? Like for us to talk about as a community. Uh, so I love that this is what you're, you know, that this is what you're pulling together, that this is what you're doing. Because it's needed and nobody else is doing it, right? Like, so so uh, I appreciate you, you know, um, much respect. Let me know how I'm happy to, to be there however I can be. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bobby. All right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You'll catch either the rebroadcast um, or hopefully you joined us live tonight. All right. Take it easy.